Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Hallelujah. Go ahead and be seated, church, if you want. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Just a big, fresh drink of the gospel. Amen. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. You know, the gospel never gets old. It never wears out. The buzz never wears off. Before the Lord started teaching me about His grace, it was easy. Uh, I don't know if it's easy. It was just sometimes um, get excited about something, healing or faith or this or that. Um, but just like a few weeks or a few months or sometime, the buzz would kind of wear off, you know. Um, but ever since he started teaching me about his love in 2007, it, the buzz has never wore off, you know. And having been a former needle junkie and drug addict, it kind of sucks when the buzz wears off. You know what I'm saying? But uh, the Jesus buzz, the, the buzz of his love and grace... I know this is really deep theological stuff here. You know, the buzz, you know, <laughs> the buzz of his love and grace just doesn't wear off. Thank God. Hallelujah. You know, I say it all the time. The easiest thing in the world to do is to backslide right into legalism. And, um, you know, I, I've, I've got friends who, um, uh, who have told me that any time in their life when they did backslide, and walk away from God or try to or from church or whatever. It was never because they wanted to, like, just go live in sin. It was always because the burden of not being able to keep all the rules, do all the steps, keep all the laws. Uh, it got to be so much, they just felt like they were so far from being able to measure up. You know, it was just, they just finally said, enough's enough. You know, you go to church and you get seven steps to whatever, and then you come back next week and you get seven new steps. And you're not even through step two from last week. You know what I mean? And, and that type of uh, just piling up on you, all that uh, guilt or whatever, just from not being able to measure up to what you're being told a good Christian is. And it, it's, it's, from what I've seen, it's not people who don't love God that, that try to, you know, walk away from God and turn their back on God. It's, uh, it's not people who, who aren't sincere. It's people who are the most sincere, you know? It's um, the people that I have found that receive, and I hate to even call it this, but who receive the grace message are the people who were the most sincere with the legalism message, you know? And it's those people who, you know, you beat your head up against the wall so hard for so long, and you're honest with yourself. That's, that's the thing. The Pharisees, and see in the Scriptures, they were not honest with themselves, or they, or they would have... They would have, you know, Jesus on the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, it's people, we, we confuse it so badly. We say Jesus, you know, brought a higher standard. Well, no, he didn't, not really. He just revealed what the true standard always was. But the Pharisees did what legalists always do. They make the rules just kind of palatable enough to where at the very least they can feel good about themselves for keeping all the rules. So Jesus comes and says, look, you've heard it said incorrectly, in other words, don't kill somebody. You know, you know, if you murder them, then you're guilty of it. He said, look, that's not the true standard. The reality is every time you hate somebody in your heart without a cause, anytime you look at the, uh, uh, the opposite sex or whatever and have a lustful thought about them, that's when you're guilty of doing it because you did do it in your heart. Because as a man thinks in his heart, that's the reality. That's the real him. You know what, you know what I'm saying? And so that was, the, that was the point. And Jesus was saying, you Pharisees, you guys think you... You think you're doing good because you're not actually killing people, but you are kill, killing people every day by your hate for them because you don't think they're as righteous and holy and, and as good and acceptable to God as you think you are through, through what you think is your own acceptable rule-keeping. Am I making sense? And so, again, Jesus didn't bring a higher standard. Jesus came and revealed the true standard. And you read the Sermon on the Mount, and you think, Dear God, who can do that? If that's your conclusion, you've read it and understood it properly. Because you should read the Sermon on the Mount and say, Dear God, i got to cut off my hand. I mean, you know, it's like I would, I would have cut off like a million hands by now, you know, plucked out a million eyes by now. You just can't. You know what I'm saying? And so that's, that's the true, and that's what the children of Israel should have said in the book of Exodus, chapter 19 and 20, when the Lord gave them the, the, the first of the ten, you know, the first ten commandments of the law. They should have said, Hey, 
Not going to happen. Help. Mercy. You know, that was the point. You know, that's what they should have done. They should have cried out for mercy. Uh, but, you know, they did what so many of us do today and, and say, well, okay, I'm going to do it. No, here I go. I'm going to keep the rules. And, and you, you know what I'm saying, though. I mean, it's people who are sincere are all too aware of our own inability. And it's okay. See, that's the point. That's okay. And religion has told you that's not okay. So we go to church and we put on our masks. And religion makes it not okay to be human. You know what I mean? Religion is always declaring war on you. You're not good enough. You need to die to self. You need to die to the flesh. You need to crucify the flesh. There's not one scripture in the New Testament that ever says crucify the flesh. But the book of Galatians says many times, 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 the lusts and affections of the flesh have been crucified with Jesus. You know, and I shared it last week. I love what I heard Brother Hagin say one time. Brother Hagin said, die to self. My true self is created in the image and likeness of God. I sure don't want to die to that. You know, just all this goofy stuff that we preach is so good because the flesh loves it whenever you give it messages on what all it has to do. The, the, the typical message of today's legalism is a man-pleasing message. It appeals to the flesh of man. And the message of God's grace and love is absolutely offensive to the flesh of man. It's offensive. It's a God-pleasing message, and it just absolutely drives the flesh nuts. That's what happened to Kara. Whenever Kara started learning about grace, her, her essential attitude was, My God, why have I been killing myself for, you know, what have I been busting my hump so hard for? She, her, my response was, oh, you know, the heavens parted, man. I thought, My God, this is what I've been looking for. Kara's response was anger. <laughs> she was like, Why has nobody told me this? You know what I mean? And I've heard, I've heard lots of other people who have other people who've had that kind of same. Re- Anybody been there? <laughs> yeah. That, oh, yeah. That was Kara's was. Was I thought, my God, this is too good to be true, but here it is in the Word. You know, I can't deny it. I'm looking at it right here in the Word of God. I can't do anything with it, but just try to believe and accept it. If God's God, there it is. got to deal with this. You know, I can't just brush this under the rug. This is the Word of God. And, uh, of course, Kara was just mad. Hallelujah. So praise the Lord for that. Uh, before we really get into the Word here, let me say next Sunday uh, we're having a cookout here at the school. And so, you know what? I... Um, I had a printout sheet, and being the man that I am, I forgot to print it. Uh, so either we have a printer here. I'll try to print it after the service, or we'll just handwrite something. Just for people, you know, get a, you know, so, you know, bring the church. You'll get uh, the hamburgers. Oh, and and the hot dogs and the buns. And um, we're importing a renowned international chef Orla Stouffer uh, to come and cook for us. So hallelujah, peace be upon the prophet of the grill. Praise God. And so he'll be cooking for us. And then, uh, but we'll put a sheet out there for, you know, uh, for people to bring chips and two liters of pop and water and condiments and all that. So we'll get that out there just as, you know, as soon as we can once the service is over. And um, I was going to kind of do just like a really short service and then just grill, but I talked to a couple of people and they said, no, let's just do a normal service and then eat, you know. So we'll just do that. Uh, and that is next Sunday, um, just before I forget. All right. Hallelujah. Turn with me. Uh, to the book of Galatians, chapter 1. Book of Galatians, chapter 1. Thank God for the book of Galatians. book of Galatians is uh, very similar in, in many ways to the book of Romans and the book of Hebrews. The book of Galatians may very well be the most necessary book for the church at large today, really. And that's not, obviously, I'm not diminishing the rest of the Scripture. I'm just saying it's the message that Paul uh, brought forth and the things he addressed in uh, the book of Galatians would be uh, as fitting as anything that I'm aware of in the Scriptures for the world and for the church, of course, today. The, The book of Galatians really stands in 100% direct opposition to the modern me- today's modern church message of legalism. You know, it, it's really in direct opposition. And that's the thing in the book of Galatians here is Paul is talking. You could read it. You could almost read it and be like, you know, like it would fit for people who aren't born again. I mean, really, it could. This, the way he talks about, the way he makes a line in the sand, you know, 
putting your faith in Jesus first, putting you know, your trust in your works of trying to keep the law. But it's written to people who are born again. And that's really the thing in the book of Galatians. Really, the book of Galatians, if you would, if you would uh, take all the TV preaching that you watch, and I watch, I watch TV preaching, I listen to sermons, and I read books. If you would take every, you know, everything that you, it's only six chapters, you know, you could read it in no time. If you would take everything you're hearing and compare it against the book of Galatians, not you, but everybody, but you know what I mean, just all of us, if, if we would do that, it would really save us a lifetime of trouble. It would help us sift out so much of the doctrine that we're being poisoned and polluted with. Hallelujah. Preach, Jordan. Okay, now, it really would. It would save us a lot of trouble. As a matter of fact, I would say the book of Galatians stands in 100% contrast, opposition, um, polar opposite, to probably 90-something percent of what is preached on TV and in pulpits at large. And like I said, I've been a legalist with the best of them. I don't have a bone to pick with anybody. I'm just, it's the truth that sets you free, you know. So um, sometimes in addressing the truth, you have to address the error, you know. And that's not to pick on people, because if I did, I'd be picking on myself, you know. Because it's still, it's the natural propensity of every human to revert back to works. It is. Adam and Eve, when they sinned, that's the first thing they did. They went and tried to cover themselves, Amen. And that's part of the reason why Jesus in Mark chapter 11 cursed a fig tree. He was cursing that whole system of self-righteousness because that's what Adam and Eve did. They went and covered themselves in what? Figs. Amen. So what's Jesus do? He curses that system of covering yourself with your own works. And you know, really, that's the fight of faith. You know, Paul talked about fight the good fight of faith. That, that's the fight. It's hard to believe that God's as good as we preach He is. It's hard to believe that God is accepting and that His grace is ridiculously, amazingly, preposterously, over-the-top, abounding, as His Word says it is. It's just hard to believe, man. It is a fight to stay in that, that seated position of resting in Jesus because it's, it's what we want to do. We want to get up and put our hand to the plow. You, you know what I mean? And really, that's where frustration happens. That's what happened to me. That's, you know, as I mentioned a few weeks ago, and as I mentioned a little while ago here, that's what happened to me, man. I, I just backslid into a system of works again. It's just the easy, and it's like you know better. It's kind, it's kind of like, you know, something tragic or whatever happens in your life, and like three days later, you finally think, maybe I should pray about it. You know, like, you know what I'm saying? It's like, you know, you finally, you know, the light comes on. And it's like even, even for, you know, people like us who believe in God's grace, or at least are endeavoring to, it's like, it's just so easy. Here you are, you know. You know, Paul said, I don't want to be as one who just swings at the air, shadow boxing. You know, you swing it and hitting nothing. And that's what legalism is. You're wearing yourself out, you know. And you're swinging at nothing and hitting every time. <laughs> you know what I mean? And the only thing that's getting wore out and frustrated and upset and tired and dying is you. You know, and it stinks. And, and for me, that's kind of what happened. I, I, just out of nowhere, man. Just not that I, I wasn't doing it. You know, just, just in my own thinking and my own life and my own walk with the Lord and, and different things. I, I'm just instantly back into a mode of works internally. And it just eats you alive. It's terrible, you know. And uh, the, I think the devil just has a party when we do that. But thank God, even as believers, if we walk astray, he comes and finds us. Amen? And, and brings us back to that seated position of resting in him. Now, let me just throw a things, few things at you here as we get started. Um, and let me say, I, I, I've told some of you this before, and let me say it again. I commend all of you because I know how hard it is to come into a church or a ministry or a group or watch it on TV or whatever, and to hear someone start teaching grace, I know how hard it is. I know the internal struggle you have with it. I, I do. You know what I mean? Like, because, you know, you, for me, when I first started learning about the Lord's grace, as far as I knew, me and Joseph Prince were the only, in his church, were the only people on the planet that, that believe this way. I didn't know there was any, I didn't know Andrew Womack, I didn't know, I mean, they, you know, Creflo got turned on to it, I mean, there's just a, a slew of people out there who do, but I didn't know it, I thought me and these people in Singapore, hallelujah, we, we're, we're learning, you know, like, we got this, man, you know, so, <laughs> I didn't know, you know, kind of like Brother Hagen, when Brother Hagen was on his deathbed, and he came across Mark eleven twenty three and found out that healing was his, if he had to believe it and say it, 
he, uh, he said, man, I thought I found something that nobody since the, uh, the apostles ever knew. I thought I was the first person to ever come across this. You know, and I started, and for me, when I started learning about the Lord's grace, like I was afraid to say it out loud because I knew how much it flipped my wig. I knew how much it offended the religion and the legalism and my preconceived interpretation of scriptures. I knew how much it messed me up. You know, when you start learning about grace, it's like somebody, I don't know, is it like a jackhammer, those guys, you know, blah, 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 you know, they're out there and they're, you know, busting. To me, it was like that, man. It's, it's like painful. And I had a friend, a friend of mine, he was, uh, uh, he didn't go to Rama, but he was a, a Rama guy. And then he came to the ministry in the Bible college where I was teaching and working at. And uh, he saw that grace was true. Uh, but for him, the first two months of sitting under my teaching and learning about grace, um, I don't, I was, I can't think of the right word. It just messed him up bad. It just messed him up royal. And this is what he told me. He said that the first two months of sitting under the teaching of, of pure grace, you, you, you ever go to the mall and you, you, I don't know how much it costs, but maybe a dollar, you put a dollar in that thing and you walk into it and there's like wind, like I, I don't know how fast it goes. Does anybody know? 40, 50, 60? I have no idea. But there's money. And if you can grab the money, like you can keep it. But the wind is blowing so hard, you know, it's like you're uh, in a tornado or something. He said for him, the first two months, of, does everybody know what I'm talking about? Okay. <laughs> um, the first two months of, of sitting under pure grace was, was like that for him, you know. And I'm like, amen, brother. I feel you, dog. Sometimes I still feel like that, you know. But... Uh, for me, you know, my dad, my dad's been preaching for 30-something years now, and um, just through what the Lord had showed me about grace, and I, I never tried to convert my dad to being a, I was going to say a grace guy, it'd be better to say to being a Bible believer, you know, uh, but it kind of, kind of unintentionally happened, but for my dad, the two things that helped, you know, persuade him was, number one, and this should be first and foremost for all of us, it was in the Word. And, I mean, you're, it's looking right in the eyeballs. You can't do anything with it. If you, have, if you are a person who endeavors to believe the Scriptures, you know what I mean, um, you got to deal with it. You know, it's there, you know. And that was the first thing that got him. And the other thing that got him was the fruit, the fruit that he saw. And for me, you know, a lot of the Bible college students who came there, that was something they told me over and over was, you know, after they, that I had one of my friends, uh, he lives in Canada, um, in uh, Ontario, and I got friends from, from just all over the country uh, who told me, Jordan, we had no idea why God sent us to this Bible college, but we know it was to get a hold of God's grace, you know, and they could have got it from anywhere, they could have got it from anywhere else in the world, you know, but I just happened to take, to take God at his, for me, I, I was dying, I used to go to church, you know, I'd go to church, and I could amen like everybody else, I could raise, and, and I, you know, you know, did everything else that everybody else did, basically, but most of the time on the inside, I was sort of dying. I was miserable, you know. And I saw the Word, and I saw that a lot of what was being preached, you know, the promises and blessings of God, I could see it. But it still, all of that didn't change the fact that I was miserable. And, you know, it, it kind of stinks whenever, you know, you're trying to walk in the blessings of God all the time, and you're supposed to be happy, and you're supposed to have this joy unspeakable full of glory, and you're supposed to have this peace that passes all stinking understanding, and you're miserable all the time, you know. And, and what, it, what it amounts to is you're trying to get the blessings of God, but you don't even know if you're saved most of the time. And if, and if what the preacher is saying is true, you're probably not. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> you know, at least we're out the circles I ran in. That was pretty much because my works were never as good as the preacher said they should be. You know? And I never could figure it out. And then that's where we get this mentality of the superstar preacher. And that's where we lift preachers up on pedestals because they are presenting such a ridiculously high and lofty walk of perfection. And they talk about it like they're, they're achieving it, you know. And, and you get to thinking, well, you're not, you know. And then you get to think because you're not having 17 visions a day and not raising 33 people from the dead every week that there's something wrong with you. You know, am I making sense at all? <laughs> okay, you know, and it's just this ridiculous standard, and there was so much more, and I say it a lot, and it's true. You know, we preach, it's supposed to be the gospel of Christ, and yet we preach the Christian far more than we preach the Christ, and it's wrong. Amen? Hallelujah. Well, there's my second introduction. Praise God. All right, now, <laughs> Galatians chapter 1. Now, please, if you, if you do have the Bible next to you, read it. If not, please, you know, 
I love what Andrew Womack says, more or less. Let the Bible get in the way of what you believe. All right? So let's read these verses here. And I'm going to start in the King James Version. I may go back and forth between the King James and the New Living. If you ever want to get blessed immensely, read the book of Galatians in the New Living Translation. It is glorious. Hallelujah. Here we go. Galatians chapter 1, verse 6. Paul, talking to believers. He says, I marvel, I'm amazed that you are so soon removed from him that called you into law-keeping, into works. No, him who called you into the grace of Christ, all right, unto another gospel. Now, can we see there that Paul uses the word grace and the word gospel interchangeably, totally synonymous. He said, I marvel that you're so soon removed from the grace of Christ unto another gospel. Then he says in verse 7, which is really not another. It's not a gospel. All right. He says, but there are some who trouble you and who would pervert the gospel of Christ. So if we put, try to put people under law, we're doctrinal perverts. All right. That's what he's basically saying here. Uh, again, I'm not throwing stones at anybody. I've been a doctrinal pervert with the best of them, I'm sad to say. All right. Hallelujah. And would pervert the gospel of Christ. Now look at verse 8. This is where Paul takes the gloves off and puts the line in the sand, you know. What's that? Kickboxer. Van Dam and uh, Ton Poe, right? Is that his name? You know, they got the, I think, didn't Ton Poe have, they had the, uh, does anybody know what I'm talking about? A few of you 80s movies buffs? Okay, I got girls saying no and guys saying yeah. Well, they fight, and they got these, I don't know, it's some type of wrapping, and they dig their hand in this crushed glass, and that's how they fight. And at the end of the movie, when Van Damme, who's like, you know, Jordan, what's your favorite Van Damme movie? Easy, all of them. You know what I mean? Like, hallelujah, you know, I love those old Van Damme movies. But at the end of the movie, Tom Poe's kicking the mess out of him, and then finally he's over in the corner, and he's like, cut the gloves off, cut the gloves off, cut, and he's like, here comes Tom Poe, this great, you know, big, mean, bad guy, and then like, they get him cut off, and like, you know, Van Damme, he, he's like the best, I don't know, I'm enjoying this, I'm sorry if you're not, Jean-Claude Van Damme is like the best, you know, slow-mo, cheesy, you know, what? Like, just the perfect slow-mo and the muscles shaking. I don't know. Anyways, he takes the gloves off. Hallelujah. Back to the Bible. So, Paul here. Paul, if you talk about Van Damme in church, you had a good service. Praise God. Jean-Claude Van Damme. Van Damme for short. Kara and I were going to church one day, and we, uh, not necessarily our normal routine, but I got in the mood to listen to uh, Living on a Prayer by Bon Jovi. And to me, I knew it was going to be a good service that day. Hallelujah. Okay. Praise God. So Paul is taking the gloves off here. Verse 8. Paul says, But though we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel. Now what is this gospel? He just told us in verse 6. The grace of Christ. Preach any other gospel unto you. Let him be accursed. Verse 9. Paul says, as we said before, almost like there's no way he just said that. So he's going to repeat it. He said, so I say now again, if any man preach any other gospel unto you than that which you have received, let him be accursed. Now look at verse 10. I love verse 10. Paul says this, for do I now persuade men or God, or do I seek to please men? For if I yet pleased men, I would not be the servant of Christ. So Paul is saying very clearly here. He says, I'm, I'm amazed that you're so soon removed from the grace of Christ into another gospel, a gospel of law, a gospel, which gospel means good news. There is no good news of law. There is no good news of works. But you understand. He said, and you're moved into another message here. And, and then Paul says it very clearly. He says, if to preach, to, to leave the grace of Christ, to pervert it and go into a message of works and works righteousness and legalism, he said, that's a man-pleasing message. He said, but I'm not seeking to please men. I'm seeking to be a God-pleaser and a servant of Christ. And I do so as long as I'm preaching a message of pure grace. Amen. You know, I've had people say, well, Jordan, the grace message is a man-pleasing message. And I, and I think, and I'll tell them sometimes, why are so many people so ticked off about it? It making a lot of people mad. I don't think there's anything man-pleasing about it. You know, a lot of people are throwing stones at, you know, the truth here of God's word concerning his grace. 
Now, let me, let me just throw a couple of things at you. Let me just tell you now, it's 11.50. I am intentionally going to go over just a little bit today. All right, I'll try to get us stopped by no later than 12.15. If you need to go, don't worry about it. Just go. All right, I won't point you out and condemn you. Hallelujah. All right, let me read a few things to you here. The book of Galatians, as we go through it, contradicts clearly and on no uncertain terms many of the nonsensical claims that are made today. Now, let me give you a few of these things uh, that are often uh, a little list here, just a few things here, that are presented and preached and make sense until you read the Bible, all right? So here are a few of these message, uh, statements. Number one, we need a combination, we need a compromise and a combination of law and grace, Sounds so good until you read the Word of God, you know? Next one. The church is not under all of the law of Moses, but is still under certain parts of it. Now, that's a, that's a hard one to, to get past, again, until you read the Word of God. You know, I think it's funny. People say, well, we're, no, Jordan, we're still under the Ten Commandments. And yet the Ten Commandments, you know, and I, and I share this often, you think about, like, uh, remember the Sabbath day. Keep it holy. Well, what's the penalty for not remembering the Sabbath day and keeping it holy? Death. We see in the book of Numbers, a man picked up some firewood on the Sabbath. They went to Moses and said, we don't know what to do. Moses said, I don't know what to do. Let me go ask the Lord. The Lord said, kill him. Put him to death. Take him outside the camp. Kill him. And yet, I've never seen one person stoned to death today for not keeping the Sabbath. So we want to say we're still under certain parts of the law, but not the penalties thereof. And yet, most Christians think the Sabbath is on Sunday. And then some Christians got really smart and think that it's on Saturday, and it's on neither. The Sabbath day, according to the laws, from sat, uh, Friday at sundown until Saturday at sundown. And I've never, you know, so if you go out to dinner on Friday night, you're a Sabbath-breaking heathen, and we need to kill you. Raise your hand. I want to know. Who had date night this week? We got a, we got a, sat, we got a, a, a special blessing we want to bestow upon you, you know? You get up and do, cut your grass on Saturday or go to the mall or uh, go to your kid's football game on Friday night. It was nice knowing you. We, we'll see you in heaven, all right? You know, I mean, that's the point. So it, that's, you know, cherry picking is, is one of the terms. You know, we want to take certain parts of it, the parts that we like, you know, and then, you know, not honoring your parents. Same thing. The penalty is death. You know, honor your parents so it may, your, your life will be long upon the earth. And, and you read that and you think there's this big spiritual thing, and maybe there is some truth to that in a sense. Don't misunderstand. That's a whole other thing. But why is your, your life going to be long? Well, because if you don't honor them, there's a, there's a commandment that says kill you. That's why. You know, it's really, really simple. You know, am I making sense? They're really simple to understand here, you know. And so we want to take certain parts and the parts that we like and the parts that we feel like we can keep and kind of build our, you know, that's where we put up our flag and say this is what we believe. And, you know, the clear message of the gospel, you know, Romans chapter 7, verse 4, Paul said, you are dead to the law so that you can be married to Christ. So to go back to the law is cheating on Jesus, essentially. That's, you know what I'm saying? And that's the clear message over and over and over and over and over and over and over again through all the scriptures, that Jesus didn't fulfill part of the law, but that he fulfilled all the law. Amen. All right? Even the big ten. Now, obviously, the message is not go break the Big Ten and start killing people and cheating on your spouse and all that kind of stuff. Obviously, that's, you, you understand. But the truth is, through the new birth and through the grace of God, we can go beyond that by His grace, not by willpower and effort. The law says, she gave you a bad look, don't kill her. Grace says, well, now you're born again. So the, the nature of God, the life of God, the love of God's inside of you. You can not only not kill her, you can even forgive her and love her. Amen. All right? See, that's the beauty of the new covenant. Praise God. A few more here. All right. And again, I just addressed this. Some people would say, well, the grace message is a man-pleasing message. Wrong. We just looked at that. All right. Now, here's, here's a, a big one. And this is really the, the book of Galatians right here is this one. We're saved by grace, but we're made holy, we're sanctified, we're made righteous, whatever, we earn the blessings by keeping the law. And that's a big one today. That, and really, that's what the book of Galatians comes against, all right? Um, and again, you know, we can look at a lot of scriptures here that does make a lot of sense until you read the Bible, all right? Now, 
the, the, the truth is, we're, we, we, we looked last week at uh, the book of Romans and righteousness by faith and how Romans chapter 1 verse 16 tells us, never abandon faith for works. We never graduate from faith in Jesus, all right? And to, to, to faith in self, you know, to faith in works, to faith in faith, any of that. We always, you know, Jesus is always the main focus here. And th- that's really the danger, um, probably for all of us and, you know, for everyone, is at least the mentality, even if you've never heard it said, there's like this undertone mentality of, and, and it's especially bad in charismatic, tongue-talking, word-of-faith churches, you know, like where I'm from and our kind of group, whatever we are. There's this idea that, yes, the initial born-again experience is all by grace through faith in Jesus, not of works, lest you should ever boast, hallelujah. But for some reason, in our charismatic camps, typically what we do is we think that somehow once we cross that initial born-again threshold, that that grace was just for that moment. But after that, bless God, you need to, I'll get it right this time, ship up or shape out. Right? Dang it! (laughs) I just can't do it. Shape up or ship out. I really thought I was. I'm so afraid of cussing when I say it. You know, ship, shape, ship, up, beep. You know, I don't want to bleep out the sermon here. You know, shape up or ship out. And so the 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 idea we think we have to abandon. All right. Yes, it was. You know, just as you are, just as I am. The old song. You know, but we we think we have to abandon that, and that after that somehow it's all up to our works. I was thinking yesterday or the day before about London and Haven. And now, now, I know this is really deep. London, you know, he never did anything to become my son. That was the work of his parents. He that hath an ear to hear, let him hear. Hallelujah. All right. London did not participate in that. You understand? Now, London will never have to do anything to be to become more of my son. It's completely out of his hands. We chose him. Like Ephesians chapter 1 says, God chose us, verse 4. God chose us before the foundation of the world in Christ. Holy, acceptable, blameless. See, that's all a work of God. That's all a work of his grace. He chose us. He made us holy. What makes us holy, acceptable, and blameless? The fact that we're his. Amen. London is mine. He's, he's as much mine now as he's ever going to be. There's nothing he can do to add to that, period. Now, think about this. Even if he wanted to, he couldn't change his own DNA. He is my son, period. Woo! Are, are, are you getting the, the drift here? <laughs> you're God's child. If you've been born again, you're a child of God. Deal with it. Amen. Praise God. And see, that's the great danger today is to abandon. Now, again, we, get, we need to get solidified in this because all of us are going to walk out this door today, and today or tomorrow or the next day, we're going to read something online. We're going to turn on the TV. We're going to pick up an old book. We're going to meet some old blessed legalist friend of ours in the Lord, and something is going to come along and try to directly challenge and shake that foundation of God's grace that we're establishing. You know, and and you don't have to be nervous about it. Don't you know? It's it's. Um, I've had people, you know, people who I've, you know, I'm thinking of someone in particular who's older than I am, who, who came to me one time and they said, Jordan, I I see it, I see it. Uh, actually, a couple of people I'm thinking of now. They said, but what if we're wrong? You know, this is too good to be true. It seems like, and so I just tell them what I tell myself, preach to myself every day. It, it can't be wrong. Go to what's the word say? Just go back to the word. Doesn't matter what I say. Doesn't matter what someone else says. Doesn't matter what your favorite TV preacher said. Doesn't matter what your favorite book says. Go back to the word. That's that's the foundation. Amen. And that's how we get solidified in the grace of God. You know, and even preachers that like maybe I used to listen to a lot that now I don't. Again, it's it's nothing against them at all. You know, and for me, by the grace of God, this is one thing about me. People think because I address a lot of what I at least consider doctrinal error. I don't try to call people out. People think that I'm like hung up on, but Kara and Linda and people that know me will tell you, I, it, it, you just cannot offend me when it comes to like doctrinal differences. I just, it doesn't, 
It's to me, there's a lot bigger stuff going on than you know whether you believe what you believe about the seventh horn on the beast. You know, like who cares? Let's just get the job done. Let's just love God, love people, receive His grace, and get on with it. I just don't have time to be, you know, mad at Jordan because she thinks Jesus had green eyes instead of blue eyes. You know, I just, it doesn't matter. Hello. You know, I was telling Linda yesterday, one of my former Bible college students, he died uh, this past Monday. Um, he was a full-blown Calvinist. And if you don't know what Calvinism is, I don't really have time to explain it. But it's far from what I am. <laughs> Basically, one of the big points of Calvinism is they believe everything, period, that ever happens is the will of God. So he's, he's a friend of mine. I've re re referenced him before. He told me one time, he said, so you don't think that God had a plan in the Holocaust? And I don't know how I looked at him, but I was like, no, I, last time I checked, Hitler did that, not Jesus Christ. You know, like, that was not the plan of God. That, you know. Anyways, but he, he and I, we just never had a quarrel about it. We never had a squam. It. We just, it never affected our, our friendship at all. And to me, that's how I, yeah, amen? And the grace of God can do that for you. I got to move on here. I know I'm, I'm, we're already, it's already getting noon. And if you do need to go, seriously, we're, I'm not, we're not going to throw anything at you or, or blacklist you. If you need to go, you go. I'm just going to take a few more minutes here. All right. Now, here's another one. Here's a big one. America needs to return to God's law. That's a big one. You hear that all the time. I get so sick and tired of these people who prophesy judgment, always picking on America. There are countries in the world that are ten times worse than America. Hello. Some of you have been to them. All right? And it just, it, honestly, it takes, I am sick and tired of people picking on my country. Thank you for that thunderous silence. Now, <laughs> All right, I do, it, I, it just royally, it's starting, like I am, it, that, that is starting to, you know, it ticks me off a little bit. Like, I think of, you know, there's just any number of countries you could go to that are ten times worse than America. But I guess because most of them live here or because most of the world, through socialism and lots of other junk, hate America, that they, for some, for some reason, we're the one they want to pick on, basically because we're the best. Yes, I said it. No offense to Kenya, brother. Hallelujah. God bless Kenya. All right. God bless Kenya. <laughs> but I love my country, and I should, and you should. Hallelujah. All right. But people always want to pick on it. America needs to return to it. Well, America was never under God's law. People say, well, uh, you know, God, God had a covenant with America, and, they, and America has turned their back, and they need to get back to that covenant. No. The only nation that God's ever made a covenant with was Israel. Not that Israel, the nation of Israel, all right? Now, but you have a covenant with him too through Jesus. Hallelujah. Now, but Israel's the only nation that God ever came and established a covenant with, not America. Now, will any country that chooses to take the word of God and live it and apply it and believe it walk in a greater realm of blessing than countries who don't? Of course. But not doing so doesn't mean that the, the earthquake that happened was God punishing you. Hello? Are you out there? All right. So, so yes, we can, bad things can happen from not following God, but it doesn't mean God's punishing you and killing you and wiping the country out and all that kind of stuff. Amen. Okay, I'm get off that soapbox. Praise God. Now, here, here's another big one. They say, it can't be all grace. You also need to focus on, and then whatever, your works, your efforts, keeping the law, da-da-da-da-da-da-da. And this is the very thing that Paul's condemning right here. He says, if anyone tries to get you abandoned, strictly grace, and exchange it for a, either a compromise or whatever for a system of works, he said, let him be accursed. That is a cursed system. You cannot flourish. You cannot operate in blessing. You cannot prosper in that system. It's an accursed, a cursed system. And Paul says, don't ever change systems. Don't ever go from, oh, it was by grace when I got saved, but now I need to mature and da-da-da-da-da-da. No. Christian growth, spiritual growth, is not abandoning grace and becoming more self-sufficient. Christian growth is a process of continually, be, continually becoming less self-dependent. Now, see, that's what God told. That's what the Lord told Paul. Paul's being buffeted by a demon. Second Corinthians chapter twelve, and he says, "For this thing I besought the Lord three times that this demon might depart from me." And so then the Lord comes to him, and we know the Lord says, my grace is sufficient for you. And the Lord tells him, my strength is perfected in your weakness. Now that completely contradicts most of what I ever heard about maturity and growth. Because Jesus says, I don't need you to be stronger. 
I need you to be weaker so I can be stronger through you. And have you ever noticed, like you're going through something sometimes, and it's been a week, it's been two weeks, it's been a month, it's been two months, and then you've done every, you've prayed all the prayers, you prayed all the right things, you made all the right confessions, you bound all the right devils, you did all the right formulas, you called all the prayer partners, you fasted, you got the prayer cloth, you took communion twice one day, you did everything and nothing happens. And then finally you just say, that's it, I'm done. You may not say it that way, but you know, you just, that's it, and you give up. And it's almost like instantly, man, that thing turns around. You ever been there? It's like you just finally give up. And in that giving up, we're just totally taking our hands off the reins and saying, Jesus, you got to do this. I'm done. And then it's like amazing how the power will come through, and that thing will start turning around. You ever been there? I'd highly recommend it, you know. Hallelujah. Praise God. All right. Now, turn with me to Galatians chapter 3. Just a few more minutes here, and we'll be done. And I thank you for your patience. I, I just wanted to share some of this with you today. Galatians chapter 3. We'll start in verse 1. <clears throat> now, here's what Paul says. He says, Oh, you foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? See, toying around with legalism and abandoning Jesus and his grace for law is not just a game. It's a demonic system. Paul says you've been bewitched. You are under a curse. All right? It's witchcraft, in other words. That you should not obey the truth. Before whose eyes Jesus Christ has been evidently set forth and crucified among you. Verse 2. This only would I learn of you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Are you so foolish, having begun in the Spirit... Are you now perfected and matured and made holy? And do you earn the blessings? In other words, by the flesh. All right, now let me read those same verses to you here in the New Living Translation. Okay, chapter 3, verse 1. Paul says, O you foolish Galatians, who has cast an evil spell on you? For the meaning of Jesus Christ's death was made as clear to you as if you had seen a picture of his death on the cross. Verse 2, let me ask you this one question. Did you receive the Holy Spirit by obeying the law of Moses? Of course not. Excuse me. You received the Spirit because you believed the message you heard about Christ. Verse 3. How foolish can you be? Now, here it is. After starting your new lives in the Spirit, see, it's what I was just talking about, that initial born-again experience. Those of us who are from Spirit-filled backgrounds specialize in abandoning this. We start with grace, and then we abandon grace for works. And Paul's coming against this really strongly. He says, verse 3, How foolish can you be? After starting your new lives in the Spirit, why are you now trying to become perfect by your human effort? Look at verse 5. He says, I ask you again, does God give you the Holy Spirit and work miracles among you because you obey the law? Of course not. It's because you believe the message you heard, heard about Christ. That first message of His grace that you heard, it's good enough for the rest of your life. Amen. And that's the great danger of the church today. We want to abandon that initial salvation grace and change it for another system. And the book of Galatians is God's strongest warning, perhaps, against that. And see, those of us who believe in the goodness and the promises and the blessings of God, that's what we want to do. We say, well, I need healing. Well, I need wisdom. Well, I need direction. Well, I need prosperity. Well, I need a new job. We want to get pregnant and we can't. Uh, I want my family member to get saved. I want da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da to happen. And we, we want to leave the realm of grace and trusting in Jesus. See, Hebrews chapter 12, and I'm about to close. Hebrews chapter 12, Paul deals with this. He goes through the great hall of faith in chapter 11, and then in chapter 12, Paul says this. Now, he tells them this. It's really interesting. Paul says, lay aside the sin 
singular, and the weight, singular, that does so easily beset you. The sin of those Hebrew people, the sin, the singular sin, was rejecting Jesus for law. And that's why he gives the solution. He says, let us run the race that's set before us. What is the race that's set before us? Looking unto Jesus. He's the author. He's the perfecter of our faith. We never need to abandon faith in him for works of the law. Because you, you feel, what happens is we feel, uh, what's the word? Like we're not being responsible enough. Like it doesn't feel mature. It doesn't, like I should be doing more than this. I should be da-da-da-da-da-da-da. Oh, I heard so-and-so say something in a sermon 30 years ago, so I should da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da. I mean, just any number of things. It's just, it's the hardest thing in the world, man, to just stay, stay in that seated position. It really is. And I believe that's why, I believe that's why, you know, Paul called it the fight of faith. Because it's just hard sometimes to just sit and trust God. It's hard to believe. You, you, know, you know what I'm saying? All right, turn with me to Colossians 2, and that's it. Give me three minutes and we're done. Colossians chapter 2. Thank you, Jesus. Thank God for the word. I jokingly kind of say sometimes that I have to use a lot of scriptures for what I teach. You know, it's, I wouldn't believe myself, you know, if, I, if there wasn't just scripture upon scripture upon scripture, you know. I'm not one of those that like one, you know, half of an out of, you know, like one half of an out of context verse just isn't going to do it for me. <laughs> you know, I got to see scripture upon scripture upon scripture. And thank God it's there, you know. Hallelujah. Now look here. I'm going to stay in the New Living Translation, Colossians chapter 2. Let's start in verse 8. Paul says, Don't let anyone capture you with empty philosophies and high-sounding nonsense. I love it. <laughs> that come from human thinking and from the spiritual powers of this world. All right? He said, rather than Christ. For in Christ lives all the fullness of God in a human body. Now look at verse 10. This is by far one of the most disbelieved scriptures in all the Word of God. So you are complete through your union with Christ. I just, don't, I just flat out don't always feel like I'm complete. <laughs> you know, Hebrews 12 says that those who have been made righteous, their spirit has been perfected forever. I just don't feel very perfected most of the time. <laughs> Amen? I'm the only one. Okay, well, praise God. Now, but I don't. You know, I just don't feel perfected all the time. You ever, look at, you ever look in the mirror? I challenge you this week. Stand in the mirror at least one time and say to yourself three times. You can say you or you can say I. Just have whatever works better for you. Makes it more real for you. Say, you are good to the core. Just, just find, you know, you are good or you are perfect. Just find some little phrase that fits for you. And just look yourself right in the eyeballs and say, you a good looking thing, you. Listen, you, no, okay, well, <laughs> Listen here, you. <laughs> you are good. Just, just do, do something like that. I challenge you to. It's, you know, that's not legalism. That's just, just, you know, the Word of God's a mirror. Go look in a real mirror. Look at yourself. Say, you are good. Or, or whatever reason, you are forgiven. You. Hey, you. Yeah, you. Oh, good-looking one. That meets me there every morning. You are good. You are <laughs> Praise the Lord. You are perfected. Whatever, whatever will resonate with you, just do that. If you would. You don't have to. You won't be condemned if you don't. Look here. Jump down here uh, to verse 13. He says, You were, past tense, dead because of your sins, your sin nature, and because, well, there it is, because your sinful nature was not yet cut away. Verse 13. He said, Then God made you alive with Christ. For he forgave. Everybody say forgave. Now notice that's past tense. He forgave all our sins. Now see, that's, those, that's one of those verses. You just got to slow down and read it again. He forgave all my sins. He forgave all my sins. 
Now notice it does not say he forgave your sins from your past up until you got born again. But after that, you have to be forgiven on an individual sin-by-sin basis. It does not say that. When it says Jesus forgave all of our sins, it means just what it says. He forgave all of our sins, past, present, and future. Your entire lifetime of sins have been destroyed. They're not even on the books, man. I mean, it, they're just not, they're nowhere to be found. You could, you could pull out God's iPhone. You could go through his top angel's bookkeeping system. You could go through all the file cabinets of heaven, and there is absolutely no record of your sins. They have been done away with. J- John the Baptist, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And I read that. And then I read 1 John chapter 3, and it says, For this reason was the Son of God manifested, that He might take away our sins. And I read that, and I say, Did He succeed or not? And thank God He did. Amen? Jesus took Adam, if you will. He took spiritual death of humanity into Himself. And the only way He could come up out of that grave is if He perfectly did away with all sin. And thank God He did. He forgave all sin. Amen? Thank God. You know, I would hate to think, and my God, Joel and I have talked about this a lot and some of the others. I mean, it's just, you just, and you've all probably been there. Hopefully you haven't. Praise God if you haven't. But you know, if you really believe in that, you've got to confess every sin to be forgiven. I used to think, <laughs> what if I forget one? Like, what if I miss one? And it stinks because when I got saved, God accepted me, and that, that, that was my confession. God, I'm a sinner. And I believe in Jesus. Forgive me, save me. You know, more or less. And, and that's, but after that, he'll only free. You know, I, I got saved when I was 19. I don't know how many individual sins I committed. My God, I'd hate to know. Because you know, I, I was terrible. As Charles Barkley would say, I was terrible. You know, I was bad, man. You know, just in, just in my performance and in, in my actions. But God didn't make me confess every individual sin to get saved. But for some reason, I have to confess every individual sin to stay saved? Give me a break. Why did he accept me when I was worse more easily than he does now when I'm his kid? You know? That, that, that's the kind of stuff that just bothered me. And I used to think, why is, why is, you know, I smile and raise my hands like everybody else, but I'm just dying inside, man. I cannot live like this forever. It's just too stinking hard. Who the heck can live up to this? And that's the kind of stuff that used to plague me internally all the time. And it was just so stinking hard. And if you're honest with yourself, you will come to the same conclusion. If you're sincere with God and, and trying to live for God or whatever you want to call it, you know. And... You just think, like, I don't even know the sins I commit. Surely I commit a sin sometime without even knowing it. You know what I mean? Like, surely that happens. What if I don't confess that one? What if I miss one? What if I, what if I have a dream, and in my dream I'm harboring a critical spirit against someone, and I die before I can wake up and confess it? What am I going to do then? God's going to let me go to hell because I was mad at Joel in my dream? Like, what the heck? When does it stop? Sorry, I'm kind of caught up in this right now. But I have been there, and I took it seriously, you know? And that's, that's the result that you come to when you believe that line of thinking. And it's terrible. And God does not want His people to live that way. Hallelujah. Verse 14, He canceled the record of charges that were against us, and He took it away by nailing it to His cross. Hallelujah. The King James, I can't remember, I think it says that he, he, uh, the ordinances that were against us. Jesus crucified the law, the ordinances that were against us. The law was never for us. It was always against us. Nothing wrong with the law. It was doing what it's supposed to do. But what's wrong is when we start using the law improperly. The law's supposed to show me that I'm a sinner. The law's supposed to show me that I'm messed up. Amen. But what's wrong is I say, no, i got to keep that to be right with God and to earn His blessings and favor and all of that. That's wrong. Paul said, is, Paul said, is there anything wrong? Is the law evil? God forbid. He said, but I wouldn't have known I was a sinner except for the law came in and told me I was a sinner. And that's the purpose of the law. Amen? Hallelujah. Trying to stop here. A few more verses. He said, in this way, he disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. D- demons, in other words. He shamed them publicly by victory over them on the cross. So if you want to make sure that people, your family, or if you preach, or your, your associates, or your Bible study group, or yourself, if you want to make sure that people are under direct demonic influence and operation, put them under law. 
That's how you do it. If you're just desperate to make sure people are walking in all the blessings that Satan has for them, put them under law. Hallelujah. All right. Verse 16. I love this. He says, so don't let anyone condemn you for what you eat or drink. Hallelujah. (laughs) Is anyone else having a good time? Because I am. Don't let anyone condemn you for what you eat or drink or for not celebrating certain holy days or new moon ceremonies or Sabbaths. He says, don't let anyone condemn you for that. You know, people come around, and, and I'm not knock, I, I appreciated what Orla shared, so just don't think that I'm. But, you know, I've, I've heard preachers say, well, it's the, it's the Jewish day of whatever, and, you know, there's an extra blessing on this season if you sow a $10,000 seed. And I'm thinking, Jesus is my season. Jesus did away with all the types and shadows. Am I making sense? There's no extra blessing on doing something on a certain day. So don't try to condemn me or put me under guilt or make me, don't, don't disarm my faith by telling me that Jesus isn't good enough. For, well, it's a special season of healing. No, it's always the season for healing. It's always the season for blessing. It's always the season for God accepts you. Amen. Today is the salvation, day of salvation. I don't need a season. Jesus is my season. Well, you need a special anointing for breakthrough. No, Jesus is my breakthrough. Woo! Amen. Boy, I'm starting to feel like a holy roller. Hallelujah. Verse 18. No, verse... Hallelujah. Where am I? 17. For these rules... See, preachers think more rules is always the better answer. But Paul says, these rules are only shadows of the reality yet to come. And Christ himself is the reality. Jesus is my Sabbath rest. Jesus is my day of atonement. Jesus is my redemption offering. Jesus is my breakthrough. Jesus is my blessing. Amen. He says, don't let anyone, verse 18, condemn you by insisting on pious self-denial or the worship of angels, saying they've had visions about these things. My God, tongue talkers, listen. Believe the Word of God over your favorite preacher's visions. Believe the Word of God over your favorite preacher's visions. One more time. Believe the Word of God over your favorite preacher's visions. Because there's lots of preachers having visions against the grace message. And you had to try it here in the Word. I don't care who has a vision. I don't care about my own vision. I'm going back to the Word, baby. You're welcome. All right. Hallelujah. Now, Their sinful minds have made them proud, and they're not connected to Christ, the head of the body. For he holds the whole body together with its joints and ligaments as it grows, as God nourishes it. Last few verses here. You have died with Christ. Die to self. Nope, I already died with Christ. And he has set you free from the spiritual powers of this world. So why do you keep on following the rules of the world, such as don't handle this, don't taste this. Don't touch that. Such rules, which is 99% of what's preached about so-called holiness. Such rules are mere human teachings about things that deteriorate as we use them. Verse 23. These rules may seem wise because they require strong devotion. My God, that's what I told I needed. I just need to sell out. I just need to be more devoted. I need to be more committed. That's what I was told. That's what I believed. And it's what almost killed me. He said these rules require strong devotion, pious self-denial. Got to deny yourself. Got to deny yourself. Got to die to self. Die to self. That's what we're told, you know. Then he says, and severe bodily discipline. But they provide no help in conquering a person's evil desires. Somehow we've always left that last part out. We're told to do all of that and that there's victory found in you need to be sold out. You need to be more dedicated. You need, you know, just, all, just stand up. We're stopping. But just that whole system of you need to be more. You need to do more. You're not enough. You're not committed enough. You know, you just think about just, man, just, just that whole system that focuses on nothing but your works and what you have to do for Jesus and mentions very little to nothing about what he's done for you. And it's just like Paul said, it's witchcraft and it's wrong. Amen? Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Jordan, can I borrow you for just a moment? I mean, we're closing, but just, hallelujah, if you just softly play something there. I'm just going to pray for us. Thank you, Jesus. You know, and I used to do, you know, I used to think that there was this magical, in my, 
maybe I wouldn't have said it this way, but in, your, in my thinking, there's this magical, you know, place that you arrive to, you know, like, you know, you need to be sold out. You know, I think, God, I'm trying. You know, I, how? <laughs> Quit telling me to do it and tell me how to do it, you know? You know, like, how do I get there? You know, and just all this, you know, it's, you need to be more, de- you need to dedicate yourself. And then I go back to the Word of God, and Jesus didn't say dedicate yourself. He said deny yourself. Deny the system of self, self-effort, self-focus, self-management, self-work. Jesus said, deny that system. Then he said this, take up my cross. Well, the church always told me, you need to take up your cross. Well, Jesus' message is don't focus on self and try to kill yourself, die to self. He said the message is deny that whole system of self. Take up my cross. In other words, my death it is your death. My burial, that's where your sin, your sin, your old man was buried there. My resurrection into the newness of life is your resurrection. Don't die to self. I died for you and I took me with you. Will you believe it? See, that's the message. That's the gospel. That's the good news. That's how we lay aside the sin and the weight of that system of self. And we take up his cross. See, his cross is the power of God unto salvation. Not your cross, not my cross, not your death, not my death. It's all Him. Amen? Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Let's just close out and pray here.